When I was a kid, growing up in, in the outskirts of New York City, a county called Westchester, New York, there was this particular place I loved to go with, with my friends. It was this aqueduct that uh, ran down from upstate New York all the way into New York City. It carried water for the people of New York City from a great distance. It was a huge, grassy uh, mound that just went on, it seemed, forever. And I loved to get up there and walk. I loved to think of the massive flow of water underneath my feet that, that fed so many thirsty people and supplied so many needs the sense of the amazing power underneath my feet, but also because there was this really cool progression of towers that that stood atop the um, the, the the aqueduct, uh, ran, actually right alongside the the edge of the aqueduct, uh, that sort of marched along like these great uh, silver soldiers, in, as far as the eye could see. And uh, from those towers, there were these big wires that hung and, again, just stretched out uh, all the way to the horizon. On one particular occasion, I'm out there. I'm with my friend Paul. And uh, we decide, you know, we're going to set for ourselves the adventure of, of seeing where all those wires go to, right, where it all leads. And so we just started out on a hike. And uh, we had been marching for I don't know how long um, before we began to notice this sort of eerie humming sound. Uh, and it was just getting louder and louder. And, w- and we figured maybe it was coming from those wires, those big power wires up above our heads. But as we went along, the noise became more and more consuming. It seemed to be coming from almost everywhere and nowhere at the same time. And then we came upon it. We sort of the little bend in the aqueduct and we come around and there it is. There's this big... Um, chain mesh enclosure, fenced enclosure, uh, alongside the, the, the aqueduct. And it's a high fence, and there's razor wire around the top of the, of the, of the fence. And there's this one big gate with, with all these padlocks on it, making it clear you're not supposed to go into this place. But you can see through the fence, and, and there are these dozens of um, columns that are... Uh, like stacks of, of plates, these ceramic discs, like frisbees, all stacked up, right? And and and, uh, and around these discs, uh, around these uh, columns, there's there's the kind of gravel you find in um, you know railway beds, um, separating them all. And in the middle of this huge enclosure, sort of uh, surrounded by all of these weird ceramic um, towers, is this great big metal shack. And there are the wires are running from the, 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 the disc towers and uh, into the shack and from the shack. And other wires are going out and they're connecting up to these towers, that, these great big towers that are nearby. I mean, it's just this weird science fiction uh, scene, right? And, and, and when you're standing there, it's even more bizarre because there's just such a powerful hum and noise coming and you can almost feel the electricity. I mean, it's like the hairs on your arm and the back of your neck are standing up. Right? And it's just this awesome, this awesome sense of being in the presence of this very, very mighty kind of, of, of power. And the signs on the gate are saying things like, friendly things like, danger, high voltage, keep out, you'll get fried, you know, is the, is the image. And we're not even thinking about trying to go inside of, of the gate at this point. Now, 
I, I know today that what we were standing at was what's called an electrical substation. And an electrical engineer once explained it to me. He says, you know, the, the, the power that gets generated from a, um, a major electrical system, a big energy system, produces so much current, so much power. It's so enormous that if it were to come into your home unmediated, right, you would see like your refrigerator blowing up and your coffee maker fritzing out. You know, it would just be disastrous. It's too much power coming in. So there have to be these places where this massive amount of power gets condensed down, gets converted down to, to, to a lower voltage, and, and then that current gets safely parceled out to, to different homes and businesses and that, and that, and that kind of thing. So, so it's the function of those stations to do that conversion process. So I'm just about 13 years old. I, I don't get this stuff at that particular time. But I know I am looking at some kind of a relay place for an awesome sort of power. And so I'm imagining houses and businesses and schools and hospitals all being supplied by the stuff that's moving through those wires and through this particular station. And, and yet it still is so otherworldly to me, you know, so terrifying in, in a sense that, that, I, that I'm not really comfortable being there. And so as fascinated as I was, when Paul says to me, let's go, I'm going, yeah, let's go. And so we head back up the direction from which we'd come and back home. Now I tell you this story to give us sort of a visual aid and a symbol or an image or analogy, if you will, for, for what it feels like to me every time I come to this particular point on the aqueduct of the Christian year. This is something of what I feel like when I get to Pentecost, uh, annually speaking. Uh, Pentecost it is for me a, a somewhat unsettling day. Uh, in in the Christian story. Uh, it is not anywhere near as user-friendly as the other big holidays we experience. I mean, I love Thanksgiving, right? Uh, how many of you like Thanksgiving? Yeah, we do, okay? At the center of Thanksgiving is this great picture we get of this benevolent God the Father from whose hands all blessings flow, right? The bounty and the blessing of God the Father sharing with everybody, filling up the tables to overflowing. That's sort of the imagery of Thanksgiving. At Christmas and Easter, two other fantastic Christian holidays, the emphasis there is on God the Son, right? On how he came down and made himself a, a human baby to, to walk in our shoes and then went to the cross to die in our place. Even that seems, as gory as that gets, it's, um, that's still a lot more comfortable to me. It's more accessible to me. And then I get to Pentecost with its story of God the Holy Spirit, and we're talking about a whole nother dimension of things, it seems. I mean, just go back with me for a minute to the story we read a moment ago and just sort of see it th through some fresh eyes. 
Uh, We read in Acts chapter 2 about a God who comes upon the gathered believers like the blowing of a violent wind that filled the whole house where they were sitting. My mind goes to the tornadoes we've just seen, right? Or to the motion picture twister, right? Of this huge cyclone that's moving across the ground and blowing up houses and overturning 18-wheelers and sending cows flying up into trees, right? And I think to myself, do I want to get close to a God like that? I mean, do I even want to have any contact with a God who could do that sort of thing, as wild and unpredictable as that is? And then you read on in the story, and the text says these tongues of fire are suddenly appear up above their heads, and they separate, and they come down, and they rest on each of them. And I I don't know why. Maybe it's because Jurassic World's coming out. It just came out this weekend, right? Uh, I, I go back to that scene in Jurassic uh, Park, uh, the movie, right? You, you may remember it when it's nighttime and, and the rain is falling and the kids are trying to hide, you know, from whatever may be out there. And little do they know, but there's this gigantic Tyrannosaurus Rex and he's just looking down on them, right? And, 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 the, and suddenly the, the sparks are flying off the electric fence and this huge creature is there and they're just cowering, hoping that he's not going to find them. And you know, This is a little bit of like what I'm experiencing, this mighty force coming down from the sky, these tongues of fire. And I think to myself, I don't want a God that blazingly powerful breathing on me, right? You know, like this monster, this dragon uh, breathing down. And then you go a little further on, and we're told that all of them were suddenly filled with the Holy Spirit. That sounds nice, but listen to the next part. And then they begin to speak in other tongues, right? My name is Legion, you know? I mean, it's like... It's like uh, The Exorcist or one of those movies where an alien comes and takes over people's bodies and they start just being puppets and mouthpieces of this alien presence who wipes out their identity. And I think to myself, do I want to have contact with that kind of a God who would enter into me and and wipe out my identity or co-opt it like that? Can you see why I could get a little uncomfortable with Pentecost? And, and why maybe other people get a little uncomfortable around this whole subject of the Holy Spirit. Now, you might not have that issue at all. You, you, you may have had great experiences with the theme of the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit's work. But I want to tell you something. There's a reason why a lot of people choose a church like Christ Church versus some of the other kinds of churches out there. And one of the reasons why they pick Christ Church is they don't experience stuff that's weird. Okay? They don't run into like pyrotechnic stuff, uh, uh, typically at Christ Church. I mean, it gets a little wild in here. Go over to the sanctuary. It never happens in that room. <laughs> Nothing too pyrotechnic. Right? And we like it that way, a lot of us. I think back to this... this uh, cartoon I saw years ago in a, in, a, in a Christian satire magazine called The Wittenberg Door. And the door was like uh, Christian Jimmy Fallon, okay? Uh, it was just great, great uh, satirical humor. And, and this particular edition had a, had a worship guide, a mock worship guide that was apparently hand, handed out at Pentecostal churches, at churches where the Holy Spirit is 
a big focus. By the way, do you know that? That, that there are different sorts of churches. There, there are God the Father churches, right? Um, where the big focus is on God the Father, the mighty, majestic, mysterious, you know, great God. And everybody is very quiet all the time. You're reverent, right? They're God the Father kinds of churches. And then there are Jesus churches, God the Son churches, where it's all about Jesus, Jesus, Jesus all the time. I've even been in churches where it's emblazoned. The word Jesus is just across the back of the church, right? And then there are God the Holy Spirit churches, Pentecostal churches, they're called, where where there's a major focus on the work of the Holy Spirit. Again, in any of these churches, it's not like all three parts of God or, or dimensions of God aren't talked about. It's just that there's a major focus on one of those. So this little guide I'm about to describe it was allegedly given out at a Pentecostal church. And the first frame of this little cartoon guide had this drawing of stick figures like the, what you're seeing right now. And they had the hands in the air, like you'll sometimes see here a little bit. Um, and, and it's followed by the words, if you see this, then the people around you are praising God. And if you see this, you'll sometimes see people going like this here, you know. Um, that means they're praising God, Right. And then the next frame has a drawing of stick figures with their mouths open and sounds are coming out. And then the explanation says, if you see this happening around you, people are speaking in tongues. They're using a praise language that's not of them, that may not be understood by the people around them, but God understands. And the third frame depicts these stick figures who are actually lying in dramatic (laughs) positions on the ground. Right? If you see this, the guide says, people are being slain in the spirit. The Spirit of God is so overwhelming them. They're losing their bodily control and in surrender, they're falling to the ground. I see that happen sometimes. We usually get the defibrillator out just down over, (laughs) down there, right? And then there's a fourth frame and and in this one, it shows stick figures with like this and their Z's coming out and their eyes are closed and it says, if you see this, then people are listening to a preacher from Princeton Seminary. Which is where I went to to school. Now, it is fascinating to me what people come to expect or experience as normal. You know? And it's fascinating to me because if you travel the world over and you, you, you visit churches in different parts of the planet, and I've done a lot of that, you're struck by the wide variety of ways in which people encounter exalt and experience God. And there isn't sort of a one-size-fits-all on this. Um, there's, a, there's a rich... God does not like gray. Uh, remember that in the dark of winter at Chicago. But he loves multiplicity and variety and color. He, he, he made things that way. And worship is like that, to, that, that way too. Um, and, and sometimes when we get into... Uh, an experience of worship that's very different from the one we've known, it can seem really um, weird to us. So so Pentecostal people um, coming from um, their traditions might walk into Christ's church and think, this is really boring, you know? Um, Even folks coming from an African-American worship experience would say, this is kind of boring. And sometimes in reverse, you know, those of us who come from a tradition like happens within this building um, might go into a Pentecostal setting and think, this is bizarre. I mean, these folks are dressed like they're going to a rock concert when they should be meeting. They're meeting the president of the universe here. At least, you know, button up something, you know, or, or gosh, they're so emotional. 
I mean, they're like all over the place with their, with their, they're, they're like their bodies. They, they, it looks like they're holding an aerobic class around here instead of, you know, sitting up properly and with respect, like we feel that everybody ought to in the presence of God. And you'll hear people in some of those settings talking about God as if he's, you know, sort of a very intimate friend who might sit alongside them on the couch uh, instead of, you know, the head of all things behind the Oval Office desk of the universe where a lot of us think he ought to stay put um, until get things get organized around this world. And you'll hear people in, in a Pentecostal tradition claiming to ha- experience all these manifestations of, of the Holy Spirit's work, healings and prophetic words and uh, other kinds of expressions of God's uh, power. And if you travel the world today, uh, because out in the, around the globe, Pentecostalism is, Pentecostalism is the fastest form of, of Christianity growing, fastest growing form, uh, you'll, you'll be hearing people talking as if they are living through the book of Acts all, all over again. And, and for those of us who have not had that kind of an experience, you know, we're, we're a little bit like my buddy Paul and I at the, at the electric substation or like the believer, the people that were in Jerusalem watching the believers at Pentecost. And we're, and we say, what does this all mean? <laughs> you know, well, what are we to make of this stuff? Um, well, that's the question I want to try and answer, uh, not just today, but in these coming weeks, uh, we're going to talk together about the person and work of the Holy spirit. And, um, and I want to urge you to, to keep coming for this series of conversations because I think it's important that we challenge ourselves to take Pentecost as seriously as we take Thanksgiving, Christmas, and Easter uh, because it's such a huge part of our story as followers of Jesus. And I'm urging us really in this series to try and open ourselves afresh to the, to the power and light of this um, amazing part of who God is, God the Holy Spirit. In fact, if you had a, a prayer for this whole season that we're going to enter into, it would be this one. Come in third. Come in third person of the, of the Trinity. Um, make yourself known to me in a deeper way than I've known you before. In other words, help me to become truly Trinitarian. To not just know God the Father, not to, to just know God the Son, but to know God the Holy Spirit as well. Make me a truly Trinitarian kind of, of Christian. Now, before I go down this trail with you, I want to just give you a little bit of reassurance because some of you are already starting to get a little weirded out. You're not really sure where I'm going with this thing. And, and I understand that because if you study the Bible and you study church history you'll discover that there's just a, there are very few subjects that are more potentially divisive within the Christian community than this, than this Holy Spirit thing, this how the Holy Spirit works. In fact, go back to the book of Corinth, read through the letters of St. Paul. He was basically writing to try and deal with the fact that discussions about how the Holy Spirit worked uh, had divided the believers in Corinth. So we're going to approach this with sensitivity and we're not, we do not intend to have church splits over this subject here, okay? Second thing I want to hear you hear loud and clear. I'm not trying to make us into a Pentecostal church. Do not send me letters, okay? <laughs> this is not Dan's subtle way of, of 
No, it's not. I'm just trying to have us look at the big picture of what the Bible teaches and, and come to terms with it and, and experience the largeness of who God, uh, God is. Um, and so I honor those who are part of Pentecostal churches. We've got people in the congregation that have come from that, that tradition. We allow a variety of worship in the life of our church. We think, again, that multiplicity is the way God works. But I do want to deal honestly with what is a really big, important dimension of the Bible's teaching about who God is and how he works. I want to provoke you, and, and I guess every time I'm coming to you, it's because God has gotten to me first. I want to be provoked to, to encounter the God who turned a bunch of burnt-out disciples into the Jerusalem Power and Light Company, Right? I want to understand more about this God who, who worked so significantly in this ordinary meeting of men and women and was able to transform them into nothing less than a substation of the kingdom of heaven with all of its magnificent power. And I think that if um, those original disciples, uh, Peter and Mary and the others, were, were here today, and if they could speak our language the way God enabled them to speak the language of the Parthians and the Medes and the Elamites and the Elmhurstians and the rest of those folks, if they could get to us and, and, and really have our ear, they would be saying to us, it is critical that the church of the 21st century live with as much power as the church with the first century did. Okay? And that's really important because I'll tell you something. We're short on power these days. You know, we've just done a whole series on the subject of power, but I want to think about it in different terms. We have relied too much on human power, human ingenuity, human imagination to solve our problems. And if you haven't noticed, we're not getting as far as we'd like to in, in coming to terms with those issues. What would it look like to lean more fully, to open ourselves more fully to the power of the living God, to that awesome awesome power that is God himself. I love this wonderful passage in, in the prophet Zechariah's writing. In fact, I have it written out in calligraphy and it sits in my office so I never forget it. Uh, in that text, Zechariah, or God says through, through Zechariah, it is not by might nor by human power, but by my spirit that life is lived to the fullest. It is not by might, it is not by human power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that life will be lived to the fullest. So let's find that life together, if it's there. And let me just say at the outset that, it, that if we're going to find that life to the fullest, we're going to have to get over some of, of the initial anxieties that some of us may feel around the subject of the Holy Spirit. Let me just name three, and then I'll bring this to a close and let us go on our way. First of all, the blowing of the wind of the Holy Spirit, uh, the Pentecostal wind, is not like a tornado, okay? It is, it is not cap capricious and precocious and, and dangerous like that. If we open ourselves up to God, to God the Holy Spirit, uh, the only house that's going to get blown apart is our blasphemously tiny little box we've tried to stuff God into. You know, we do that sometimes. We form a little framed picture. This is how God is. This is how God works. This is what, how, what God would say to me. But the reality is God is larger than that. And one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to show us that, even if it means knocking out the sides of the box for us. Okay? 
So that is the way the wind of the Holy Spirit works. Secondly, the fire of the Holy Spirit is not like the, you know, the fire-breathing dragon kind. I just watched The Hobbit last night, you know, torching the... T- this is not God's M.O., okay? When God breathes upon us, when God comes to breathe upon us, uh, it's to give life to us, not to deal death to us, not to scorch us. And finally, you do not need to fear that the God we meet in Acts chapter 2 or in his continuing work in our midst today um, wants to possess your body or your soul in that sort of weird alien way. Okay? He doesn't. God loves individuals. God loves personality. God loves the variety that he sees in this room. Look at the choice he made of disciples. I mean, a motley crew, if ever there was one. God loves that. He doesn't want to destroy that. He does want us to die to certain things, to certain to our selfishness, to, to our, our little idolatrous uh, constructs. He wants us to die to those things, but he wants us to live into the full potential of who we are, who he has made us individually to be. So God never comes and electrocutes our identity with his Holy Spirit. He comes to electrify our identity, to show us the full potential of the unique personality and gift mix and life experience set that you have. He comes to fill that with his power and to make your life like a bulb <laughs> through which he shines his light and his warmth and his, his radiant power out into this world. And, you know, to borrow a, a hackneyed phrase, to make us a thousand points of that light, right? To make us all turned on, radiant centers of his power to bless people in this world. So in the coming weeks, I'm just going to be unpacking these ideas for us in deeper, deeper measure. We're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is, how the Holy Spirit works, what he seeks to do in you and me, the way he seeks to do that, how we open ourselves up to that in, in, a, in practical terms. Uh, that's going to be what we're going to talk about. So let me just leave you today with a simple definition that I hope that you'll think on as you go out. Many years ago, I uh, came under the mentorship of a really seasoned, retired uh, pastor uh, named John Lavender. And John uh, had come to my church in Southern California, and he he felt sorry for this kind of wet-behind-the-ears young pastor, and he sort of put his arm around me and mentored me, and he taught me a lot. And one of the things that he taught me was about the Holy Spirit because I was pretty much a God the Father, God the Son guy. I didn't know anything about the Holy Spirit. He says, Dan, let, let me explain it to you in these terms. He says, the Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus Christ would be if he were here with us now. And, and we talked about that because I confessed. I kind of felt cheated that I wasn't like one of those disciples that was there walking with Jesus. I feel like, gosh, I'd have so much more assurance. I'd, I'd be so much more committed and convicted as a believer if I'd actually had the experience that Peter and Mary and others had. And, and John said to me, no, 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 no. The Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus would be if he were here with us now. Jesus said, my spirit will be like me here with you now, everywhere you go, so that we can be in the world what Jesus would be if he were in the flesh, not second best, not a poor substitute, not a second rate version. The Holy Spirit comes to us to work within us so that we can be little Christs 
literally Christians. That's what the word means. Little Christs. Uh, in, in our workplace, in our home, in our civic organizations, wherever we go in the world. The Holy Spirit is to us what Jesus Christ would be if he were here with us right now so that we can be to the world what Jesus would be if he were here in the flesh. And I want to ask you to think about that idea all this next week and consider its implications for you as we think together. This was what Jesus said. As the Father has sent me, so I now send you. As the Father sent me, now I'm sending you. And you will be given power to become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the earth. Let's think together on that call and that promise as we bow our heads together in prayer. Let's pray. God, we know that whatever time each of us has left, we don't know how much time that is, we do want to make the most of it. We really want to be filled with the capacity to make the most of it. And so if there is more to knowing you, more to serving you than we have discovered yet, please help us to see it. Please help us to experience it in the days ahead. And just as you filled those ordinary people who gathered together long ago in that upper room, fill us, we pray, with your power and your light. As we go to our homes, as we go to our recreations, around the barbecue, in our workplaces in days to come, fill us with the wonderful light, the energizing power of your very presence. For this we pray in your holy name, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and all God's people said.